Today's show is brought to you by Airtable, the all-in-one collaboration platform. Being a modern media business is complicated. Maintaining a functional editorial calendar is hard. Wrangling writers and editors, copy edits and social, all on deadline can get messy fast. Believe me, it's hard. Most collaboration tools aren't made for creatives and creative projects, but Airtable is. Airtable makes it easy to organize stuff, people, ideas, anything you can imagine. That's why leading creative teams at places like BuzzFeed Studios, Group 9 Media, and Time all use Airtable. It's flexible enough to adapt to your process, but powerful enough to keep everything on schedule and let creative people be creative. Visit Airtable.com slash Digiday today to get $50 in free credits. Thank you, Airtable. Welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Brian Marcy. This week, joined by Brett Boutier. He's the president of Awesomeness. Brett, welcome. Hey, Brian. So for those of us who do not have teens or preteens in the household um, or our moms, explain very quickly what Awesomeness is. Awesomeness is a company that you know makes content and has networks that reach a lot of youth, period. Actually, now we've expanded it. But it originally started yeah. targeting Gen Z teens and doing it on YouTube. So right. we launched the company literally as a YouTube channel. Okay, and when was that? That was in 2012. Okay, so, I mean, YouTube was a, a, a great incubator for growing the business. Fantastic platform. And reached giant numbers. Yeah, the logic was really simple. Where are teens now? Where are they watching TV? They're watching TV on YouTube. But there was no brand for them. Like, what was the MTV of YouTube? And actually, Viacom was specifically not on YouTube. So we had an opportunity to go in and build what we consider to be the next MTV for this generation and do it on YouTube. And we reached reached a lot of people very fast. And then you use that in order to expand into being something more than a YouTube network. That's right. Okay. Explain the model because I, I want to just sort of set this base to, to talk about the current landscape and what a lot of different players are trying to do. But I think you guys have an interesting model. Well, the simplest way to think about the way the company is set up is that we're a network and a studio, um, not dissimilar from you know what you would label traditional media companies to be doing out there. We have multiple, not not an ad network and a studio, not an ad okay. network, not an MCN, okay, um, but literally networks that reach specific audiences in a branded way. So, like I mentioned, we have DreamWorks TV that targets kids and reaches kids. We have Awesomeness TV that targets and reaches twelve to twenty-four year olds, and we have Awestruck, which is reaching millennial moms. Those are our networks that are programmed every single day across the entire social video landscape. So, what mm-hmm. used to be predominantly driven by YouTube in terms of video consumption um, is now Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. There are many platforms. There'll be more platforms and we'll be on all of them. And you make money a bunch of different ways. That's right. So across the networks, we sell advertising. We have lots of partnerships with advertisers, um, not in a programmatic way or in a media 30-second spot driven way. We're more of like a, a 
brand agency where we work with brands directly and with their agencies to help them reach these coveted audiences and do it with original programming. So we build lots of branded entertainment for them. And that is the bulk of what makes up our advertising business. Mm -hmm. But we also have the studio, like I mentioned before. So the studio makes all the content that runs through the networks and is an incredible development vehicle for us because we're in business with writers, creators, producers, talent on air behind the camera. And the amount of content that we're working on in any given day can run across any platform. So we're developing shows that are short form episodes on YouTube or a series that could be on Snapchat, but we're also developing long form series, 10, 15 episode, half hour, hour long series. Linear stuff. Linear. Well, let's not say linear because okay. our audience is not really watching linear. Okay. To be honest, they may be watching TV, but they're not tuning in at 8 p.m. on Channel 4 to do it. Mm -hmm. So we make that kind of programming, long-form programming, both series and feature films. Now we have a feature film studio as well. Um, and we distribute that across the entire landscape. But our biggest partners are those that have on-demand platforms. And so you get licensing fees, we basically. Do. We do. So that's important I mean, because a lot of people are, are, you know, we talk about the pivot to video and a lot of people are trying to get into video and beyond just the ad money, there's the licensing aspect. Right. So we're effectively a dual revenue stream business. Uh, advertising is an important part of our business. It's a growing part of our business. We increased our ad business 50% this year versus last year. Um, but the bulk of our business is actually making and licensing our content. We own our content, so we're able to license it, distribute it across the globe. So how does that change how you view platform deals? There's a lot of platforms out there that are, are paying money for content. Um, they come with different terms. Right. Um, our general mode of operating is that since we develop and produce uh, all of the content you know, in-house, then we own all of the content. And that's part of our growing library of series and movies and shows. So we're in business with lots of platforms, but we're licensing that content to them. So whether it's uh, Go90 or Facebook or uh, Netflix or Hulu, all of those companies, we have really wonderful, great partnerships with YouTube, YouTube Red especially. Um, all of the shows that we're making, the feature films that we're making that premiere on their platforms, we own. And then we can also distribute beyond the U.S. In some cases, they distribute more territories than they they cover more territories than just the U.S., but we also distribute beyond. So that's the key is to keep the rights so that you can then license in different windows. That's right. Right. Because I wonder whether or not, I mean, look, a lot of the people who right now are new to licensing content they're ad companies right they want stuff to take and they want to plug it into their giant ad systems because they got a ton of demand coming through those ad systems so that's their interests and i think the question is whether or not these initial licensing deals go go away we certainly don't see the world that way every week it seems another platform is making an announcement about their increased programming budgets year over year you know there's a lot of noise about how much netflix is spending but when you go down the list and see that facebook is now in the business to the tune of a billion dollars a year and apple's will in the that business. last well the facebook i mean i know they're gonna have a group of 
I wonder whether they're going to spread the money around for a long period of time or whether they'll just narrow in and then be more like a YouTube model. I think they're going to continue to spread the money around and, and okay. here's why. Well, first, let's figure let's let's separate the universe. Let's put Facebook and YouTube in one bucket. Let's call them for the sake of comparison to traditional media. Let's call them free TV. Okay. Right? As a consumer, you go to those platforms. There's lots of video to choose from. Some of it more premium than others, some of it more UGC than others. But it sense, in a sense, there's a, just a ton of choice there. And I can watch it all for free. And the you know user transaction is, I'm going to watch some advertising as well. And people are fine with that because we see all see the same numbers. We're going to publish into those categories and into those platforms because we can reach so much audience. And we're going to continue building our brand and our brand relevance because we're targeted at a specific audience. But then there's premium platforms too. Right now, you'd say the biggest premium platform is the MVPD universe, right? It's Comcast or Charter or Spectrum, you know, and they're selling you a $100 bundle of premium content that's coming to your door every day. But now all of the upstarts around that are starting to chip away at how that ecosystem is is delivered to you. So whether it's Netflix or Amazon or Apple, uh, and this is happening globally, Sky in the UK have announced that they're mm -hmm. spending a massive amount of content uh, effectively over the top. Uh, over the top. Um, that that is going to continue to grow because you can hyperserve audiences and you can get paid uh, on these on these platforms for the service that you offer. And we all know what that Netflix mm -hmm. model looks like. We don't see that slowing down anytime soon. So, I mean, it seems like there's this period of transition, right? And at the at this very moment, if you are a, a content creator who is making, who has a real brand, is making content that people really want, you can license it to a lot of different places. That's right. The and old and places have, and the new places. That's right. And if you have an audience that is relevant and important, and it just so right. happens that Gen Z is a very, very relevant audience. And so what you're seeing right now in the millennial landscape with brands who are geared toward millennials are now massive brands, right? Vice is at the top of that list. They've been around for 20 years targeting millennials before people were talking about the importance of millennials. Well, Gen Z are going to be the next millennials. And so the influence that they have over the household spend, the evolution of media consumption in every household is very, very significant. We're seeing it in all the research that we look at and a lot of the research that we do. So we know how influential this audience is, how they're going to impact household spend on a consumer level, both with you know, companies who are marketers, brand marketers, but also with the content companies that are mm -hmm. changing the way content gets bundled. So you do not see an OTT bubble of any sorts in that. I mean, we've seen, you know, watchable. I think, I think we put it on life support. I think that was, um, uh, Sihil Patel, our resident expert. He tells me go 90 is, is not going to be is not going to be with us for the long term. I know you guys are very big into go 90. So I want to, I want to start with that. Explain Go90 and and why it is here for the long term. Yeah, Sahil and I have talked about this uh, uh, before. <laughs> See, I just on, passed it off on, on him. On stage, in, in public. Um, See, he didn't say when it's going to die. That's the key with saying something's going to die. You don't put a date on it. Right. <laughs> it's Here's why it's not going to die. It will change. But Verizon is in the video business, and they're going to stay in the video business. Yesterday, they announced a massive deal with the NFL 
restructuring effectively how they're in business with the NFL. They now have more rights, but less exclusivity. And they're paying a lot more. If that's not an indication of how important video is to that company and their long-term strategy, then I don't know what is. And so what okay, they- It's a war they can't lose. It's, it's, a, it's absolutely a really important battle for all the wireless companies. That's why AT&T is buying Time Warner, right? Because you, all you have to do is look back at the last 10 years in, in wireless and those companies. Uh, how did they compete for subscribers? At first, it was who had the best device, right? I think AT&T had exclusivity on the iPhone in the first couple of years. And that was really important for them to drive additional subscribers, notch down their churn, critically important. Then once the iPhone went non-exclusive and every device was available across every wireless carrier, it became about who had the best network, right? <laughs> and I yeah. think Verizon was winning that war for a while. But ultimately, then you sort of reach parity across the landscape and they all have great coverage and great speed. So what's next? It's a price war. Or if you don't want to be in a price war, and who does? So those guys are really working to prevent it. It's about creating something else of value that your customer is going to want because you don't want to churn those subscribers month to month. And content is the next logical play. Okay. And so for you guys, that's all good when people are fighting and it's, but it's about just giving like a window of exclusivity. That's right. And then you can take it and you can put it on YouTube or you can put it on wherever. Right. And monetize it. We can, we can take, we can take that content and, and we are making premium content and that just, Stepping back, right, at a 10,000-foot view, I think any one of these new companies that get labeled digital companies as if they're only playing in digital media, and I don't even know what that means anymore because right. everything is basically delivered digitally, I sort of have this view that digital is not a place that you play. It's a state of mind that you play with. So if you're a company who's a digital company, it means you're thinking about how you make what you make whether you're brand building and producing content that's written and published or video content that's packaged and delivered and how you push that out and how you engage your audience across all the platforms where they live and they're consuming that content. That's what it means to be a digital company. All media companies should be digital companies now. Right now, a quick break. Today's sponsor is Airtable, the all-in-one collaboration platform. The content industry is constantly evolving and to keep up you need a tool that's flexible enough to adapt to your process, but powerful enough to keep everybody on the same page. Airtable is modern software. Airtable fields can handle any content you throw at them. Add attachments, long text notes, checkboxes, links to records in other tables, even barcodes. I promise you, even barcodes. Whatever you need to stay organized. That's why when the team at Time Inc., needed a tool to manage their entire creative process from ideation to content creation, they turned to Airtable. Airtable empowers you to do your work your way. Try it today. Just head to Airtable.com slash Digiday to receive $50 in free credits. There are helpful video tutorials to show Airtable in action. Visit the site. So what company out there looks most like awesomeness to you? There's I know a, everyone's unique. There's yeah, there's a there's a handful. I think it's sort of a Venn diagram with lots of circles on it. Um, y you have, you know, companies that are more publishers than they are uh, video production companies in terms of the content that they're making. You have companies that target different 
demographics or who lean into one platform more than others. But I would say any company that's out there is focused on building a brand, targeting a specific audience, doing that every single day with a steady flow of content, and then ultimately owning that content to distribute across the globe is the bucket we'd be in, right? So Vice is definitely one of those companies because they're, you know, certainly now video first. So you look at them less as a publisher, quote unquote publisher. Now? Yeah. Yeah, not always. They turn to that corner for sure. Uh, BuzzFeed has always been natively video. However, the bulk of the content that BuzzFeed makes is topical. It expires every day. Mm -hmm. So they're not necessarily building content that has lasting value. Well, they're so not they're, building franchise. I mean, what franchises have they built? Well, you could say the brands that they've built are franchises. Tasty, Tasty is now a franchise in the food space. And smartly, you know, they've figured out how to monetize that differently than just by selling ads against it because now they're in the consumer products business. That's smart. Mm -hmm. uh, Refinery29 is, you know, a brand that reaches millennial women and they're still I think in the early days of figuring out how to transition from more of a publishing brand into a video mm -hmm. brand. But again, a company that values creating and owning content. Um, video content is you know their future that they've laid out uh, and, and distributing it. Oh, they're, they're still very right. much an ad supported business as are a lot of the businesses that I just covered. It seems like there's a lot of companies that are in transition, right? From this sort of comm score world. Like where it's like, you know, for, right. for years they were like, look at our comm score numbers, look at our comm score. And then they said, don't look at our comm score numbers. <laughs> we're, we're something different. Yeah, it's true. And now, now you've got, I think, a lot of companies who are thinking more about what's the value of the relationship they have with their audience. And, and if you don't, they have you a don't measure that just in tonnage. <clears throat> you have to measure that in engagement. And there's a lot of ridiculous BS out there in terms of what quantifies for engagement. Mm -hmm. um, but I think there's an increasingly steady set of metrics that you can use to, mm -hmm. to understand if a brand actually means something to people because they're going to share it, they're going to own it, they're going to they're going to participate in that brand. That's mm -hmm. probably, by the way, one of the most important moments in the history of awesomeness was looking out across the landscape and saying, our audience just doesn't want to watch our content. They are and that's good. They want to participate. And so that was actually what the MCN was for us. We, we created an MCN not to make money. We created an MCN to say to our audience, come play with us. Mm -hmm. And when we did that, it opened up lots of avenues, not just on the MCN, to be able to say, we're open to you as a creative community. You're all inventors and makers and creators, and we are the brand for you because we get you, we hear you, and we want you to be part of what we're doing. So do you, do you kind of roll your eyes a little bit when, when publishers that are text publishers really in their DNA sort of come out and beat their chest about their 1.3 billion Facebook video views? Yes. <laughs> Explain that. Because I get a lot of people who come on here and they tell, they tell me pretty, I'm not, I'm, I can't be shocked anymore by the large number. Again, I don't know what tonnage means. You know, 1.3 billion compared to what and where? And by the way, would any of those 1.3 billion views be able to tell you what they watched one hour later or that they watched it on your brand or would right. they care if your brand went away tomorrow that's the measure right and that's and that's what we're seeing and i think a lot of these brands don't get well well there certainly is a runaway advertising train that is google and facebook through you know buying across exchanges and programmatic advertising to reach 
you know, left-handed basket weavers in Ohio, I think that there is a growing shift amongst any brand advertiser that they increasingly have to become a media player themselves, right? They need to understand how to engage the audience to buy their product, whether that's a t-shirt at Hollister or a bar mm -hmm. of soap that Unilever makes. So all the, the recent uh, hoo-ha over um, brand safety on YouTube, everyone's a lot of reporters are trying to dig into to the crevices of YouTube to, to come up with um, some grotesque content and, yeah. and ideally an ad will be against it. Um, this happens from time to time, but I would guess it's it's kind of good for you. We represent a premium environment. Right, I mean. Period. Yeah. So when you are partnering with us. But it, can it be bad in that like, you know, YouTube becomes sort of known for this kind of stuff among advertisers? I mean, we don't see it in the numbers. I mean, certainly it doesn't show up in Google's earnings. YouTube is an open platform. Anyone can publish a video there. You, 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 I think you have to intellectually understand. But that, that doesn't wash over. You can like stay premium on YouTube. Y you guys can stay premium while on a, you know, just one street over is, you know, some kind of grotesque child content. That that is unfortunately true. All I can guarantee is that if you are advertising with us, the content that you're around in the environment that I control is going to be premium mm -hmm. and safe and high quality. Is this a major problem for YouTube, or is this just like one of those things where they're like, okay, we'll crack down? I think we'll crack they're down. they're hiring a, an insane amount of people, tens of thousands of people to add a human layer to try and tackle this issue. I think it's something that they're taking really seriously and they have to take it seriously. Quick break to tell you about an event we're having. It's a hot topic one day event on the future of TV that is in New York City and it's on February 15th. It is hosted by our very own Sihil Patel. We will discuss OTT and how the TV business model is morphing. Uh, and we have some great speakers lined up. Scott Havens is coming from Bloomberg Media. Uh, he's going to talk about their new sh Twitter streaming network, TikTok. Rich Al from Amazon is going to be there uh, and many more great speakers. Um, this is a one-day event. And um, find out more information on our website. Just uh, go to the events tab in the menu bar and hope to see you there. So you, you talked about YouTube Red. Um, how is that doing? I mean, it, I, it, you know, they made a big deal when they launched it. Um, I wonder about that. I mean, I know they're subsidizing it by paying folks like you. Yeah, the answer is I have no idea because like a lot of subscription video platforms, we don't have access to their performance data. Um, and is I that don't concerning? Know, <laughs> and I don't know what metrics. Well, I, Netflix is doing fine and I don't well, know Netflix, how anything yes. performs on Netflix either. I, I think there's a number of things that YouTube have done in the last five years that have been really important for the overall brand of YouTube, right? The, the funded channels that they did, which we were part of mm -hmm. that program. There's a very, 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 very short list of channels that got funding in that program and that are still around today or are relevant today, mm -hmm. I should say. Uh, but what it did for acknowledging that YouTube was a place where premium content can live and can reach an audience, was massive in the evolution of what YouTube represents as a video platform. I think YouTube Red is another experiment in that. Uh, we do have programming on YouTube Red. It does well there. I know just anecdotally, they tell us we have a 
show called Foursome that's one of their highest performing shows and drives lots of subscribers for them. We know how well it does on our channel, so we know our audience loves it and wants to watch more, but then once it goes behind the paywall, we don't have visibility into, right. into that performance. But I also think it's a ladder or a stepping stool at least to the broader ambition for YouTube to be a platform where you can have access to all different kinds of videos. So for them, at the very least, it's a data exercise to understand what is the threshold for people? How are how and when are they willing to pay for content and what bundle? When do they watch? Why do they watch? How do they get there? They're now rolling out YouTube TV across the globe, right? To figure out how to tap into the MVPD, virtual MVPD bundle. That'll be another experiment and how they can be sort of the de facto location you can go to to get all of your video, whether that's, you know, your your friends posting video socially or you know, premium paywall, best in class content. Okay, let's talk about uh, Facebook and Facebook Watch yeah. really quickly. Um, what does this end up becoming? I mean, Facebook is is mammoth, um, but how committed are they to making this work? I think they're hugely committed. I don't. I'm not sitting in their strategy meetings. Yeah. you know, but from what uh, you but, see, but from what I see, I think they're hugely committed to figuring this out for a couple of reasons. One, the audience doesn't lie. They tell you what they want to do. And based on the reaction that we're seeing to video and how quickly and massively Facebook became uh, a legitimate competitor to YouTube in terms of video is not something you can ignore. Mm -hmm. But also, that's what it is. It's, it's gonna, you see it becoming like YouTube, not becoming Netflix. I think it will be more like YouTube than Netflix. Now, I have a that lot. That means of, an open platform. I have a lot of personal theories about this, okay. which is if you think Netflix is the best, sort of most data-driven or insightful um, platform for premium content because they're using algorithms to understand what mix of, of creative elements make for successful shows on their platform, then Facebook would just be that times... I don't know, some infinite number because Facebook is the place where people are talking about all of the programming mm -hmm. that they watch and love and share. And so Facebook would be an unbelievably interesting um, gateway and promoter to drive premium content and premium content subscriptions. Yeah, I guess I just wonder is like, is it going to be an open platform? Is it going to be a closed platform with, you know, that's that really leans premium? And I, that's the way I think of, at least as a consumer, Netflix, whereas Facebook, it seems like in their DNA to be more like YouTube, where it's it's everything. And yes, there's a premium layer, but underneath that is a, a gigantic ocean of stuff. I think you're right. I think that's the bulk of what they'll do, but I don't think that that will mm -hmm. limit them from exploring what premium content could be for them. And their licensing, will those subsidies largely end? I mean, that's the sort of history. I mean, they were they were they were paying people to do Facebook Live until they stopped. I think I think we won't know until they figure out an ad model that works for more pre for more premium creators. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, mid rolls don't. We know exactly. Okay, they don't. So you know. Obviously, this sort of new form of branded entertainment works. It's easy to sort of have a moat around that because that's not able to be run at scale. So Facebook is not really so interested in getting into the branded content uh, business uh, from what we can tell. 
I think they're happy for lots of content companies and brands to be there in the branded content business because it's just bringing more advertisers to their platform. Um, so I, I think there's more experimentation to be figured out in terms of what the ad model is there, what's the share, what kinds of inventory can be sold and and managed. And, and once they figure out that out more effectively, then you'll see more creators go there and and spend more time publishing their content there. Okay. So, I mean, do you see that becoming a really significant um, part of your business or is that just another spoke? It's another spoke. Uh, in the side of our business that is networks that reach specific audiences day in, day out, branded networks, Facebook is absolutely one place we're going to be publishing video and reaching our audience. And it differs by the brand that we have. So DreamWorks TV, which targets kids 6 to 11, isn't really spending much time worrying about Facebook. Right. Eight-year-olds are not really on Facebook. They're on YouTube. Right. So we're going to spend a lot of time on YouTube, publishing to that audience and building that brand. Awestruck, which is our millennial mom's brand, is all in on sure. Facebook. So that's you're going to find that there's a different balance depending on which type of audience that you want to reach, and you'll constantly be tweaking that. How about Snapchat? How about it? <laughs> I don't know. Is it is it is it, it? Where does that go as a platform um, as far as a distributor of premium content? I, I don't think that it will go premium necessarily, but let me qualify what premium means. Um, I think it can be quality programming there, but long form doesn't necessarily make sense on Snapchat. Um, I think that uh, speed matters on Snapchat, being responsive to your audience there. So being able to provide really topical content that you know, can live in sort of a more social stream of consciousness matters there. Um, but I also think that they're changing the platform and the product itself and our programming and our thinking about what creatively works there has to evolve with the behaviors themselves. Um, we're seeing a lot of people move to you know, our audience specifically move into Instagram stories right now because Instagram stories is very intuitive and sort of uh, linear in, mm -hmm. in, in how you can consume a story in brief bits uh, that refreshes daily uh, in a way that, you know, Snapchat is a little bit more scatological. Um, but both platforms are really effective tools for us to reach. But it sounds audience. like they're just tools. They're not like big focuses. Again, it's, it's, it's an all-platform strategy, right? So we don't own the platform. We own our brand. Right. So what but we're, each platform provides different types of opportunities. Exactly. And in different audiences. And and you know, one of the great things about us having a brand that means something to a specific audience is that we become a curator too of things. So that when we premiere a movie on Netflix, we can go to our audience on Snapchat and drive them and know who they are and where they are and what they like and drive them to tune in on Netflix or Hulu or go ninety or something that we're selling directly through iTunes even. So final thing is what is a what does a post cable world look like? Like what how is cuz I as I said I, it feels like we're in this period of transition, but I'm not sure what what exactly are we transitioning to? Cuz right now it's 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 incredibly confusing with all these different bundles it out is. there and as a consumer it's just it's baffling about just where stuff is. I think the biggest shoe to drop is that there's still a massive amount of money subsidizing 
network television coming through MVPDs, right? This is the biggest consolidation of money spent on programming is that you pay your cable bill, they turn around and write a check to, you know, Viacom and NBC Universal mm -hmm. and Scripps and all Discovery, all the companies who are bundling networks and making programming to deliver to you. Within a decade, a lot faster, I think I'm being sort of probably too generous. Um, why would we keep watching TV on a schedule? Well, also those networks are kind of meaningless. Nobody knows where shows are anymore, right? I mean, no, there's nothing... I, maybe it's me, but I, I don't think it means anything that a show is from ABC versus NBC. It's it's becoming less and less meaningful every day. And on top of that, most of those networks are now known for one show. Right. Right. So they're they're hit driven economics for them. And and they're trying to reach an audience everywhere they are, which is not, once again, eight PM on a Tuesday, right? On a specific channel. So in a world where it's about having a brand that means something. Hey, if this show comes from the, this brand, in our case, awesomeness, I know what I'm going to get, but I can get that anywhere. That's going to be the DNA of the next generation media companies. That I think we can say for sure. How the economics for that all spread out, how that hundred billion or some odd mm -hmm. dollars from the MVPD world gets broken up and reallocated and some of it will just go away simply because it'll go into the you know gross margin of these cable companies that are now big internet broadband providers right who could say but i think if you're in the business of making and selling premium content consumption is not decreasing consumption is increasing so that's an important business strategy for these companies yeah and with ai robots are going to do our jobs so then we'll have a lot of time to consume all this content oh god forbid <laughs> Brett, thanks so much. Thank you, Ryan. And thank you for listening. This podcast is produced by Aditi Sangal. If you liked our show, don't forget to subscribe. You can subscribe on iTunes or on Stitcher, on Google Play. Um, and also, please do leave us a review um, on those platforms because I'm told it helps the podcast be discovered. Um, also, a quick reminder about Digiday Plus. This is our premium membership product where you get our quarterly magazine, invites to member events like our, our recent uh, live podcast, access to our Slack community, and a steady stream of exclusive research. Um, our next event is going to be with USA Today. Um, to find out more, visit digiday.com and you'll see the Digiday Plus tab on the menu bar. Digiday Plus is only $395 and if you want a 25% discount, and I don't see why you would not, enter podcast at checkout. Thank you again. See you next week.